Today I want to talk about how we can strengthen our marriages. With each passing year, a smaller percentage of our nation's citizens are married, and a larger percentage of our nation's children live in households that do not consist of two married people. Why are our marriages in trouble? What can we do to strengthen them? You can have a happy and fulfilling marriage. Uh, God gives us some of his finest counsel about marriage in the last book of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi. Uh, God's sage instruction is helpful for happily married couples who want to build stronger marriages, for couples who are struggling, and for students and uh, singles of all ages who may see marriage in their future. You say, I'm not married. How is this relevant to me? Well, marriage and family was central to God's plan from the beginning of creation. It was how he was going to show, one of the main ways he was going to show his love to the world and how he was going to nurture children. So we all need to know uh, about good marriages. It's only in the last few decades that we have embraced the myth that marriage and families don't really matter. Malachi gives us three good pieces of advice to help us experience happy and fulfilling marriages. First, commit to permanence in marriage. Uh, couples committed to permanence in marriage realizing, realize they're making a commitment for the rest of their lives. Once they get married, if they hit bumps along the road, they drive through them. This kind of commitment makes a world of difference to a couple in the midst of conflict. If you know your mate is committed for life, you know you'll make it through. God says through Malachi, so do not break faith. He repeats himself in the next verse, so do not break faith with the wife of your youth. God says marriage is for keeps. We're not to break our marriage vows. He goes on, have we not all one father? Did not God create us? We all came from the same father. Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? When we break faith with our mate, God says we're breaking a covenant with him. Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. What's the treachery Israel is committing? Many of the men of Israel are divorce, divorcing their Jewish wives and marrying foreign wives, presumably younger women. God says, when you, your mate grows older, your wife grows older, you're not to dump her on the scrap heap like an old car. Now, it's easiest for to think this way. We do this with practically everything we buy. We buy new clothes, we wear them for a couple of years, and then we throw them away. We buy a new TV, and before it's worn out, there are better TVs, and so we buy a new one. We get a cell phone, 
And even though there's nothing really wrong with it, there's so many more features on newer phones, we get an upgrade. It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. They're getting rid of their wives and marrying younger women. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty, even though he comes to worship. God says, don't break your marriage covenant. There's no question that one of the most significant changes in our country in the last 60 years has been the abandonment of permanence in marriage. As our relational struggles mount, far too many couples are turning to divorce as a solution, thinking somehow this will solve their problems. It won't. It's like someone who drives a car and hits a tree. Next day, he goes out and he drives again, hits another tree and another tree. Finally, he's so disgusted, he says, I'm getting rid of this car. He thinks buying a new car will solve his problem. A new mate will not solve your problems because you are the same you. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as his garment, says the Lord Almighty. Do you remember a guy named Boaz? He put his garment over Ruth. It's his way of asking her to marry him. God says you commit violence when you break the covenant of marriage. Malachi says marriage is for keeps. God's design is for one man to marry one woman for a lifetime. Now, this is not to say that divorce is the unpardonable sin. God forgives you. But he's saying don't lower the standard. Whether you're married or divorced and remarried, God's will is for you to do everything you can to strengthen your current marriage. So how do we do that? We do it with the second good piece of advice Malachi gives us for a happy and fulfilling marriage. Guard yourself in your spirit. God says, so guard yourself in your spirit. This is so important that it repeats it in the next verse. So guard yourself in your spirit. What is he talking about? He means that since marriage is for a lifetime, we need to watch our attitude toward our mate. If something's going to go wrong in your marriage, it will start in your spirit. So we need to ask, what is my spirit? What is my attitude toward my mate? Since husband and wives have different needs, guarding the spirit means different things for husbands and for wives. The Apostle Paul, in his famous uh, passage on marriage, says, However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. 
Do you find it fascinating, fascinating that he gives different instructions to the husband and the wife? Why doesn't he just tell them love each other? He gives them different instructions because he knows that the wife's greatest need is to be loved, but the husband's greatest need is to be respected. Women are commanded to respect because they don't naturally respect. Husbands are commanded to love because they don't naturally love. So let's first look at the husband. What the husband must guard in his spirit toward his wife. Husbands must guard a spirit of love because the deepest need of the wife is to feel loved. The husband must guard a spirit of love toward his wife, not let a spirit of anger or harshness slip in. A man must always be thinking, is what I'm doing going to be perceived as loving to my wife? Men must guard a spirit of love because men can be so insensitive. Let me give you one example from my life. I could have chosen hundreds. I'm taking a chance here, kind of pulling back the curtain so you can see how brain dead I can be. This one happened on Christmas morning, a number of years ago. Our house was bustling. Uh, many of you know we have nine kids. There are about 15 of us gathered. And uh, everybody was busy getting their presents wrapped and under the tree. And I had to leave early for the first Christmas Eve service that started at 3 p.m. I came home after the third Christmas Eve service at about 8.30. Uh, my wife, Jory, is, is Norwegian and Swedish, so we always have a big dinner on Christmas Eve. Then after the dinner, we opened maybe one present each. And then I had to go back for the fourth service at 11 p.m. When I got home, the, our youngest kids uh, were already in bed. I went into the bedroom, and Jory was there. She had about 15 of these large bags. Now, they were all Christmas ones. I just found what I could in our house. And uh, she had them all lined up, and they were all full, like this, except one, hers. So I went into my closet, I solved the problem, and I got gifts that I'd squirreled away for jewelry, and then I saw I had a problem. The gift, uh, the, and it was even worse than it looks here. Uh, this bag is smaller than the, the, the bag jewelry had, and uh, you had to kind of look inside to see if there was anything in it. Then I remembered, about a month before, she had said to me, hey, I would like to buy these clothes. Is that okay? And you can give them to me for Christmas. I said, great. And so I went into her closet to find them. You know, she always tries them on for me, and so she'd put them in there, and I found them, and I put them in the bag. I'd solved the problem. The bag was full. Everything was great until the next morning. Uh, Jory and I always open our gifts last, and when Jory opened hers, she was doing great, enjoying it, until she hit an, found an item in there, and her face fell. I put an item in there that she had owned for like two or three years. That's how unobservant I am of what 
she gets. I told you, it was bad. So husbands have to be asking constantly, is what I'm doing sensitive and will it be seen as loving by my wife? Even when we don't feel like we're getting respect, we have to ask, is my wife acting disrespectfully because she's feeling unloved? Often when a wife is unhappy, she's sending a message, love me. We have to begin with the assumption that we're living with a good woman. She isn't deliberately trying to be disrespectful. Her criticisms may not be contempt at all. They are simply her way of crying, please love me. If she's pleading for love, the worst thing a man can do is to go with his natural tendencies to lash back in anger or to pull away in silence. When there's a problem, silence is not going to solve the problem. Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? We need to see marriage as a covenant relationship, not a consumer relationship. Let me show you how this works. Many marriages get built around the idea of a consumer relationship. You're married for a while, you see some flaws in your mate, you begin to think, you know, I'm not getting as much out of this marriage as I thought I would. So I'm going to give a little less. My mate's not really giving their all, so why should I? We think that's, uh, you know, fair and equitable, but our spouse is not likely to view it that way. The spouse will see us being less emotionally involved, and they'll interpret that that they should dial it back too. And so the whole relationship begins to dial downward as each pulls back because they don't see the other one giving their full effort. Now compare that to a typical relationship of a parent with a child. When you have a baby, you have the neediest creature in the world that you are taking care of. They need your love 24-7. And you give and give and maybe don't get anything back, sometimes for years. And there's there's a period of time in adolescence when you're loving your child and they're keeping you at a distance and not really giving you much back. Yet when they turn 18 and go off to college or get a job, you continue to love them because you're loving them in a covenant relationship. I love you regardless of what you give me back. Many times when kids leave the house, the marriage falls apart because the marriage was working on a consumer relationship. If I'm not getting anything, I'm not going to give anything back. But God calls marriage into a covenant relationship. We love our wife. We respect our husband even if we don't feel like it's coming back to us in the measure we think it should. 
Now let's look at what the wife must guard in her spirit toward her husband. Wives must guard a spirit of respect because the deepest need of the husband is to be respected. Ask husbands, does your wife love you? Nine out of ten will say, yeah. Ask a husband, does your wife like you? Many husbands will say, ah, probably not. And husbands interpret that dislike as disrespect. The woman who was his biggest fan when they were dating now doesn't approve. And she's letting him know it. Uh, the wife loves her husband and shows it to him in many ways. So she thinks she's doing all that she can for the marriage. What she doesn't see is that she may have allowed an attitude of disrespect for her husband to creep into her spirit, and it's killing her husband. What she doesn't realize is the husband needs respect even more than love. Ask male business leaders if they want their employees to love them or respect them, they'll laugh. They couldn't care less if their employees love them. But respect, yes. Right or wrong, men interpret their world through the respect grid. Decisions analysts did a national survey on male-female relationships. They asked men, in the middle of a conflict with my wife, I am more likely to be feeling, A, that my wife, significant other, doesn't respect me right now, or B, that my wife, significant other, doesn't love me right now. 81.5% chose that my wife doesn't respect me right now. Many women do not understand how huge this respect thing is for a man. Most women assume that it was her love that got her husband to ask her to marry him. After all, love is what motivated her her love was critical, but more important was her admiration. That's what won her husband. This is why wives must guard an attitude of respect toward their husbands. She must not let a spirit of disrespect gain root in her spirit. When a wife starts scolding her husband... Though her motive may get, be to get her, him to love her more, quite the opposite is likely to be the effect. He hears, I don't respect you. Many women who are longing for relational intimacy with their husband don't realize that their lack of respect is sabotaging that desire. When she gets negative toward her husband, she's not doing herself any favors wonder how many women or men have had affairs because their wives lost respect for them. When a man is told by his wife, you don't deserve my respect, and then goes to the office and meets a woman who thinks he hung the moon, and her eyes show him that she thinks he's the most handsome and funny and intelligent person she's ever met. Look out. Some women object when I tell them that respect could do miracles for their marriage. 
My husband doesn't deserve my respect, they say. After all the unloving things he's done, he's going to have to earn my respect. When the wife says her husband will have to earn her respect, she puts him in a lose-lose position. Now he has to love his wife and earn her respect. The Apostle Paul tells wives to respect their husband unconditionally. A husband shouldn't have to earn respect any more than a wife should have to earn love. Lack of respect achieves just the opposite of what the wife is hoping for. Uh, The key to finding feelings of affection and love from a husband comes through unconditional respect. So, ladies, if you get anything from this message, I want it to be this. If you want to transform your marriage, think of all the things you like about your husband that he does well, and then think of ways to communicate that to him. You'll be amazed at how quickly your husband will respond with affection and attentiveness. Commit to permanency in marriage, guard yourself in your spirit. And the third good piece of advice I find in Malachi to uh, cultivate a happy and fulfilling marriage is marry in Christ and grow in Christ. Malachi says, has not the Lord made them one? When God tells the people of Israel not to marry the daughter of a foreign God, God is not concerned about ethnicity. That's not his issue. His issue is faith. He tells his people not to marry someone who worships false gods. God forbid the people to marry people who worship false gods because he knew that would lead them away from him. He wanted them to raise godly children. The people had to remain pure in their devotion to God because They were the people he had chosen through whom he would show the world that that he exists and that he loves them. And they were the people to whom he would send his son as the savior of the world. If you want God to use you for his purposes, you must choose carefully whom you marry. Because the choice of a mate can make or break your faith. If you're single and a win for you would be married someday, then you can't date like everyone else dates. You're looking for someone who shares your faith. Choosing a mate who shares your commitment to Christ will be huge to helping you grow in Christ. And we need to grow in Christ if we're to cultivate a God-honoring marriage. Jesus said, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. The vine is the trunk. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. I'm the trunk. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Jesus constantly talked in story pictures that we could understand. Of course, a branch that's torn off from the trunk is no longer going to bear fruit. We get it. He says, you have to remain tight with me. Many couples find themselves caught in a destructive cycle. The man doesn't show love for his wife because she doesn't treat him with respect. She doesn't respect her husband because he doesn't show her love. Who's going to break the cycle? Whoever is mature enough to say, I will love and respect my mate because Christ commands me to. And I'll look to him to meet my deepest needs. When a man comes to me for counsel and complains that his wife is cold, angry, and argumentative, I might say it sounds like because his wife is failing him badly, he feels justified in his bitter attitude toward his wife. The Bible, however, commands him to love his wife regardless of how she's responding to him. The man might retort, maybe I'm supposed to love my wife, but I need a little respect too. She's giving me nothing but criticism and a cold shoulder. And you tell me to love her? Who's going to meet my needs? This is where growing in Christ is eminently important. We can't expect a mate to go on indefinitely giving, getting nothing back. It's like asking a person with laryngitis to speak up. But if you understand that Christ meets your deepest needs and you look to him to do that, then you can love unconditionally or respect unconditionally. After hearing a sermon on marriage, a Marine said, Please, somebody, lead me to Christ. My marriage is a mess. We fight all the time. I try to fix it, but I can't. We both try, but we don't know how to do it. Please help us. If you've not given your life to Christ or committed yourself to growing with Christ, you can do so right now as we pray because you need the God who created marriage to help you build a strong marriage. You can experience a happy and fulfilling marriage, commit to permanence in marriage, guard yourself in your spirit, and marry in Christ and grow in Christ. Father, thank you for these words you recorded in the last book of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi. You say marriage is a covenant relationship. We're to love, we're to respect, regardless of what's coming back, coming our way. And we're to depend on you to meet our deepest needs. And so we want to commit to doing that. I want to invite you to pray right now. If you're married, would you commit to loving or respecting your mate unconditionally? It can change your marriage. If marriage would be a win for you someday, would you commit to marrying someone who shares your faith, dating someone who shares your faith, so you can have that bond 
in your marriage. If you're not married, pray for other people you know that are married. You pray. Father God, thank you for creating marriage, your plan from the beginning of the world to show your love to us and to nurture people. And so we commit ourselves to loving and respecting our mates or preparing to possibly being married someday by growing in our faith and learning to love and respect right now. So we become the right person so we can be the right partner in marriage. In Jesus' name we pray.